this is Leslie. And this is Liam. And this is Tim. And we are all trading money stress for real happiness. You are listening to Seeds, usually a 15-minute debrief on young people's common money challenges, but this time we're stoked to be hosting the Future of Finance series, highlighting our favorite industry leaders and their top tips for managing your money. And today, we're excited to feature personal capital. If you haven't heard of them already, they're an industry-leading digital wealth management company. In other words, they make things like investing simple by helping you to invest based on your risk tolerance, be tax savvy, and to speak with professionals when needed. To top it off, they make your overall money strategy simple by compiling all of your accounts in one place. Their state-of-the-art tools and technology provide investors with a complete financial picture, and their registered investment advisors provide expert guidance and logical strategies based on a personal understanding of an investor's financial picture and goals. And representing personal capital is none other than Paul Deere. Paul is a certified financial planner and has been with personal capital since they first moved to Denver in 2013. With over a decade of industry experience, Paul's current role as director of advisory service keeps him focused on a team of over 60 financial advisors and their clients. A frequent contributor to the Daily Capital blog, Paul's expertise lies in retirement planning, investing, and markets, and more. Thanks so much for being here, Paul. We're stoked to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Great, great intro. We got to update that uh, seventy team of seventy these days. <laughs> we keep growing. Keep growing. <laughs> Love it. And Paul, you know our podcast is designed to help trade money stress for real happiness. Want to kick it off? What does happiness mean to you and how do you use finances to get there? Yeah, uh, I, I think it really comes down to freedom and flexibility and lifestyle for me personally. Um, and, and, you know, like low stress is when I know that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, right? And for, for me personally, what that really means is I want to find a way to grow my wealth so that, you know, if, if at whatever point in the future, I want to do something different, I want to change tracks, I want to take a step back, I can. And so growing wealth, having some money on the side for emergencies, those are key ways that I'm thinking about doing that. And, you know, specific example, I'm originally from Hawaii. I was born and raised there and I, I left the island of Oahu when I was 18. I'd love to go back, um, but the cost of living there is extreme. Uh, only one way I'm going to make it is if I have enough money to actually do that. And for me, that means investing in saving and thinking about the end state. Um, I know there's always that element of balancing living life now versus living for the future. And my personality tends to be a little bit more focused on the future because I love, I love uh, seeing the savings grow. <laughs> it's certainly an addicting feeling, Paul. I, I can, I can resonate with that. Um, and it's helpful to hear some of your background about uh, growing up in Hawaii. Then of course, now you're in Denver. Um, and our listeners do like to understand from a personal perspective, what kind of drives and motivates you? So I'm curious to know kind of one level deeper, have there been any challenges that you've either experienced or witnessed um, within kind of your financial journey or your client's financial journey? And how does that shape 
your journey and your career now as kind of director of advisory services? Mm. Financially, I've got one answer. More broadly, I've got another. So I'll start with the more broad one. You know, more, more broadly, I think I'm motivated by just challenge and personal development. And I think that's really what I focus in on, less so about the, the paycheck or the ability to make money. But from a financial challenge standpoint, I graduated from college in 2010, which was right on the back end of the financial crisis. And I saw a lot of people, uh, be included, have a hard time finding a job, you know, just kicking off my career out of college. And what I found was, you know, that the, the starting salary that I was able to secure certainly slowed me down in terms of uh, that typical lifestyle that I think most people think about or want to achieve. So specific example, um, I, I didn't buy my first home until I was in my early 30s. Um, I was renting a lot before that just because the job market was challenging out, outside of that financial crisis. And so it really made things go a little bit more slowly than I think they otherwise would have in terms of career development and, and personal growth. Um, and, and that kind of put a lot of things in focus for me, which is, you know, really surrounded, okay, well, what really matters to me and what do I want to focus on doing? Um, first and foremost. Great. Yeah, and I definitely wanted to speak a little bit more about, you know, your experience coming off of that recession. Uh, many of our uh, many of our listeners are recent graduates and, you know, as they're coming into the pandemic recession, having difficulties similar to you finding jobs, um, what are some tips or, or um, you know, what are some, some things you can provide to them as they kind of search and reflect on their own journey and what do you wish you knew when you were starting to build your adult relationship and plan with money? Yeah, there's, there's a lot built into that question that I could take a lot of time on. I think um, really deciding on your passion first and foremost and doing it in a constructive way. I think, you know, having thoughts around, okay, what do I really love to do and how can I build a professional career around that obviously is a great way to go. Um, but also just building those professional relationships and being open-minded is really key because I think we can also get stuck in this concept of, I want to do this one thing and that's what all I want to do. And what I've found is I have a general sense of what my passions are and I can do a lot of those things in a lot of different areas or a lot of different careers. Um, so specifically, I really enjoy helping and educating people. That has been something that I just discovered through my schooling that I really liked to do. And it just so happened to fit that I was able to do education and help people through kind of a financial angle. I also had just an interest in the financial markets. Didn't mean I went into the job market thinking I want to be in the financial industry, right? I kind of boiled it down to some higher level concepts and looked for themes or elements where I could find that in a variety of careers. And it really did work out pretty well for me. I certainly didn't go into, <laughs> go into working for a, a discount brokers firm, which was my first job out of college, thinking, ah, oh, this is, this is what I've been gunning for my entire life. Um, but it has really paid off very well because I've had the opportunity to meet 
all these very interesting people from across the United States, from very different walks of life. And I've been able to really have a meaningful impact on their lives. And yeah, it's through a, a dollars and cents in some ways, but like for me, it's just, I helped them and I helped educate them. And that's really what kind of got me spun up and excited. So hopefully that answers your question, but if it were me coming out now and I, I that would be very challenging, be what are the things that I really love to do and what are a variety of careers I could try that might get me there and just kind of taking a little bit of time to just give it a shot and bounce around. That's another thing that I didn't do is I have been in the financial industry for uh, 11 years now and I started there and I think it would have been fun to have, you know, maybe tried a couple different things to just kind of see what it's all about. But where I've landed has put me in a good spot. And so I'm happy with it. But for someone who's just starting out, you generally do have some time. Oh, I love that response and kind of that connect the dots approach. Because I think that's what life ultimately is for all of us, right? <laughs> is, is kind of, okay, this is the end goal, right? So here are my passions. Here's what I like to do. What are the steps I can kind of take and experiment with now to teach me and help me develop and acquire those skills to get there? Um, so you, ultimately a theme I think that we're seeing is, is you seem very forward looking too. So I'm curious as we pivot to our topic for the series, the future of finance, do you have any uncommon but strong or passionate opinions of what may lie ahead for the average American? <laughs> Interesting question. I think right now, I mean, without getting too into the weeds, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with the Fed and easy money policy right now. Very low interest rates. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's very inexpensive uh, on a historical basis to go buy a home. But the long-term implications of that are very uncertain. Um, the, the value of a dollar today may be very different than it, the value of a dollar 20 years from now. And that's a con that's a, just a very core concept that's probably very important for everyone who listens to this podcast to understand. We don't know what uh, what's going to happen with all of this easy money that's research just coming as a result of COVID and the financial crisis that occurred back, uh, you know, over 10 years ago. And I, I think it's I we don't know what we don't know, and that's a big risk in my mind. And that's something that I'm always looking for. In my world, I want stability. I want that flexibility to do whatever I want, right? And so what that means is I'm constantly looking for things that are gonna cause problems with that. One of the big problems could be, you know, hey, what, what is the dollar worth in the future? <laughs> right. Probably makes you an in incredible financial advisor. So already jealous of <laughs> all of the uh, advisors that you manage, the now 70, um, but, but helpful, helpful to hear from your perspective. And I think a lot of us, especially as a 20 something are kind of coming of age in this time where there is so much of that very quick and easy, almost gratification, particularly with how 
I don't want to say cheap, but how easy it is to leverage things like an FHA loan or how easy it is to use a firm to buy your Peloton, which by the way, I did. And, and, and all of those kind of practices may or may not be standard as we look 10 years ahead. So really, really helpful, Paul, to hear from your perspective. Um, I think it's a perfect segue into one of my favorite questions, which is what failures or probably just blatantly bad advice do you currently see in the personal finance industry and how would you advise someone to avoid them? <laughs> I think everything has a cost is a good way to think about it. Anytime you're in the financial industry, you, you might come across something that looks really great and it might be really great, but there are always some elements to anything that you're investing in, buying into, um, getting advice from. And, you know, just it just what it can come down to is there's always uh, another side to the equation. So it's just really good to be educated and to understand what you're getting yourself into. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about bad advice, I could go down a million different paths. I think one that's particularly interesting right now on the on the back end of GameStop and stock, that stock rise, meteoric rise and subsequent total crash. <laughs> bad advice would be listening to your friends for financial uh, guidance <laughs> um, and, and just just because somebody else is doing it doesn't make it a good idea. I think that's one concept that I personally really buy into is this idea of being a little bit contrarian. Um, what everybody else is doing is great. That doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for you. And we're all social creatures. And so we tend to gravitate towards that. But in the financial industry, really uh, the smart people are kind of going against the grain or going against the current a little bit. So that that's one and maybe i'll just leave it at that <laughs> definitely yeah i totally agree paul you know it's important to do your research prior to making decisions especially when it's decisions as something as big as that you know getting into gamestop whenever that's peak and and kind of making sure you know, you're doing your research prior to to um you know making those decisions so i wanted to pivot a little bit into speaking about uh personal capital now um, I don't know if it was mentioned prior, but you've been with Personal Capital seven years, definitely been an instrumental part of their growth. What do you think has uh, been uh, some of the most instrumental parts in Personal cap Capital's growth to an industry leader? Yeah, uh, so Personal Capital has been around since 2009. I joined up in 2013. And one of the key things that has been very just awesome for us is we have always been primarily focused on digital. Um, we have really been doing that since day one and delivering financial advice from any location really helped us just provide transparency to people across the United States, you know, wherever they are. Um, and and we, we really kind of found that this ability to hybridize technology with human interactions provided this really unique set of value to people who want that technology focus, but also want a human to interact with. Again, going back to we're all social creatures, you know, having somebody to talk to a coach is actually very impactful. So our 
focus on building really great, very transparent technology and supplementing that with real people has uh, really led us into a very great spot in the industry. That so resonates with, with our mission at CWC. As many Seeds listeners know, it's so much about the people. It's, it's, I'm taking a, I'm going to make myself sound like a nerd, but I'm taking a Bitcoin <laughs> and cryptocurrencies class right now online. And uh, one of the things that's so interesting is like you can build this semi-perfect system, but without accounting for the human elements, you actually may be really ill-equipped to be able to help people in the way that you want to. So I think that's certainly something that I admire from personal capital. And as a coach myself, of course, I'm going to be an advocate for other coaches too. Um, I'm I'm curious, Paul, as as you kind of manage your team and, and they go out into the world and really try to help their clients achieve their goals, what are some of the questions that you and your team are trying to ask yourselves today, um, potentially on the heels of GameStop, but truly, you know, as broad as you'd like to go? Yeah, um, I, I really, really find a lot of uh, interest and value in behavioral finance. And one thing that we're constantly assessing is how can we get people to understand and combat their own hardwired psychological biases, right? Like what, how can we get people to understand what those biases are and acknowledge them when they are occurring? So a really good example would be recency bias. And we can, we can loop that in, in terms of GameStop. Recency bias is all about whatever happened more recently is more prevalent or meaningful to us as humans. And it's how we're hardwired. And so when you translate that into investing and you talk about GameStop, well, GameStop went up a ton, right? And that happened very recently. So maybe that's a great place for me to put my money because it's just front of mind, it's in my face and it's what I'm thinking about. That doesn't make it the, the really great investment that you, you might just default think that it could be. So for us, it's always about, okay, we're all human. We understand that. How can we help ourselves make more methodical, somewhat emotionless decisions when it comes to our finances? Because that's really where you're going to get the most value from a dollars and cents standpoint, right? It's great to think about, okay, well, what I want to do with this money? And that's a very emotional thought. But when it comes to actually putting that money to work, if you're thinking about it from a emotionless standpoint, you're generally going to be way more effective than somebody who's being really emotional about it. Um, so that's, that's a big one for us. It's just we're all, we all have behavioral, excuse me, behavioral biases. How do we get around those? And then the other, I think, is just how do you get people who don't find finances particularly engaging um, really interesting and because it it is the gateway to happiness in some ways right that talking about flexibility and uh, comfort so how can we position it that way so that people think about not what what am I saving today but what is this going to allow me to accomplish in the long run what am I what am I really shooting for with these dollars and that's that's always something because you know We've only, we all only have so much time in the day. How do we get people to understand that, hey, this is actually super important and it will have a very large impact on your life. Let's sit down and talk about it for a little bit. 
Mm. Yeah, really, really good perspective there. Um, you mentioned a few of these focuses. I'm curious, what should we all be on the lookout for with personal capital looking out to the next year, next 12 months? Oh, man. Um, for us, it's with our technology, we're always looking at new tools um, and trying to figure out how we can bring more transparency to the forefront. Um, next 12 months, what what are we going to see? I I don't know what we're going to be doing on the product side, but we'll probably be bringing in new tools that are just designed to help everybody understand what's going on with their money more frequently. I do know that we're working on building in the ability to link up Bitcoin since we were talking about that. That's something that you should be able to track in the near future within the tools. And behind that, probably enhancement to some of our existing financial planning tools, which are available to anybody who uses the tool. Super exciting. And as a, as a lover of the product myself, I have to say that the continual updates are certainly something that we appreciate and enjoy. So um, of course, we'll wrap and, and talk about this towards the end. But if you haven't checked out their app yet, you absolutely should if you're listening to this show. Um, it's absolutely free and also just a great place to be able to start using those tools for your own needs. Um, but, but I'm glad we kind of are talking about initiatives here, Paul, because uh, we, we saw a couple of uh, blog articles and press releases around kind of Personal Capital's Financial Heroes Initiative uh, recently. And as you know, a, a company that's focusing on helping make wealth accessible for the common person, we're pretty interested in you know, how others are trying to reach historically underserved populations. So just curious to get your perspective on what Personal Capital is doing to try to, for lack of a better word, help level the playing field or just help get your resources into more hands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for for us, it's it's all about the the free tools and the transparency. There, there's like def there's definitely a lack of financial education and resources to certain populations, and our tools can really help anyone get a much better understanding of their financial situation in kind of a a way that is just much simpler than it might be otherwise. Right? Are you doing well? Can you improve? How might you improve? Um, and, and what I'm talking about there is you can you can put everything in one place. You can see all your bank accounts, all your credit cards. If you have investment accounts, you can see those too. All of your debts, and it boils it down to one number. You know what what's your net worth and how are you trending? And that can be something that is motivating for people and gets them excited, or it can at least give you perspective and say, all right, well maybe I need to take a step back and really look at this. And we have this whole financial heroes campaign and we're, we're partnering with figures that could really hopefully inspire people to look a little bit more at their finance finances and say, well, maybe, maybe I should really spend some more time here and increase my financial literacy and overall confidence. Um, we've got Baron Davis, who's a ex pro basketball star. We've got um, Rizwana Bashir, um, she, she's a CEO of a travel experience company, peak.com. And then we also recently um, came out with Deepak Chopra, who's a wellness guru, 
pretty cool to see that too. So just kind of really um, broadening our horizons and scope in terms of finding people who might inspire others around them to just say, look, maybe I should be spending a little bit more time on this. And for us as a company, it's, yeah, it's the tech, you know, people can use it. It's totally free. And there's so much good insights that you can get from it. I was completely floored when I found it and just loved what, what we were doing, you know, back in 2013. And we've done a lot more since then. And it really does help position what you're doing with your money and gives you, without you having to spend a ton of time with it, you can just go in and say, and see some really valuable insights. So a lot more that we can do there, but we're definitely trying to find some ways to grow and expand that transparency that we've really already leaned into. Definitely. Yeah. And I think that the financial years campaign is it's so interesting and, and so intriguing because you do have those perspectives from all walks of life and, and, um, and get really, you know, a uh, good amount of information there. Uh, I did want to speak a little bit more about the inspiration and motivation you were kind of talking about earlier. So we know the pandemic hit millions of households financially. When you or your clients feel overwhelmed or helpless uh, around a financial situation, what do you typically do or what advice do you maybe give? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. 2020 was absolutely a <laughs> crazy year. Um, it's impacted so many people in so many different ways. From a finance perspective, I think one of the biggest things that we've done for our clients is not help them ma not make emotionally triggered decisions. I was talking about emotions earlier. In those moments, it can be very scary, right? And fear or greed is typically when we're going to make the wrong decisions. We're really fearful or if we're super greedy, that's when we're going to make a mistake. And so when we're working with clients, it's, it's really helping them stick to formulating and then sticking to a long-term plan because that's how you help somebody keep the emotion out of whatever they're doing. It's, you know, when times were fine, we establish this plan, let's maintain it and stick to it so that you don't feel cornered and like you have to do something, right? You just don't want to be doing that. Um, and it's a real challenge, you know, it, we're all, again, we're all human. I feel like maybe I'm a little bit of a broken record today, but when you are in a scary moment, it feels like the most impactful thing there. Um, and that, that's where having that human coach element can be so positive is if you're in your own head and you're just trying to make the best decision possible, but it's fear or greed based, you really just need an unbiased or you need somebody to bounce your ideas off of at least to figure it out. And so when we talk about COVID, you know, specifically in March, the markets just dropped fastest bear market in history right? Which just means the markets declined significantly, very, very quickly over the course of um, about a month and a half or two. And <laughs> at that time, where we were delivering the most value as financial coaches is helping people not do something. A lot of people wanted to just take their money out, go to cash and say, I just, I can't, I can't handle this. And for us, the best thing we could do is say, look, we have this plan. We're going to help you stick to it. Let's actually do that. Let's not panic and bail. 
And, you know, lo and behold, on the back end of the fastest bear market in history, the markets rebound significantly. And anyone who did go to cash would have missed out on that rebound. So having a plan, sticking to it and being as emotionless as you can be with that plan are really the things that are going to help drive your long-term success. And that's what we've been focusing in on. Right. Finding that ball balance, right? I think the thing that always freaks me out is when people start making those emotional decisions because they're so easy to make and they seem so right in the moment. And then when you look back a day or two later, it might not always have been the most, the, the best move, um, thinking from a sustainability perspective. And I think a lot of us experience that, you know, for those that graduated and have only seen this bull market. Um, that was kind of the first time that we had that fear instilled in us. So, so for our listeners in their 20s, what are, you, what are the top financial metrics you think they should be tracking today? And as a follow-up to that, how might that change or shift as maybe they get into their 30s? Yeah, that's great. Um, early on in your finances, I think metrics you want to track are absolutely your budget, how are you doing on budgeting? Are you positive or negative on your budget? What's your debt look like? And are you making a, a dent on that? Um, I love credit score as well, especially for people who are new to finances. That's something that will have a dramatic impact on your long-term financial success. And building credit is all about having some kind of a credit history, right? Having a credit card, having some kind of debt that you have a good long-term reportable info on. So, you know, building credit is all about, well, were you able to pay off your debt? Did you maintain it accurately? Did you have too much of it? That's another key one. All of those kind of contribute to the same single number though, which is net worth, which we track on our, our website. And seeing how your net worth trends over time is a real great way to get, um, some insight and hopefully positive reinforcement that you're making the right trend. Um, because even as a new individual, right, you're out of school, you have student debt, your network might be negative, right? You owe more than you have. And that's okay, especially when you're, you're new to your working career, you're just out of college. But what are you doing long, long term? Is your net worth continuing to decline and getting more negative? Or is it trending closer and upwards towards that zero mark to the exciting moment where it actually goes positive? That is another key one to keep an eye on because sometimes you can get bogged down on just like, where am I at today? But what's really important, important is your trajectory over time. So credit score, net worth, overall debt, and budget are are big ones. Yeah. Budgeting is, is your basic level. Start with budgeting, get that down pat, and then you can move on to the other things. Yeah. And, and Paul, would you say that's pretty consistent then as you continued along your financial journey into say your thirties, forties? Yeah, absolutely. I think budgeting is going to be key regardless. Um, it's, it's your base level, right? You have yeah. to have a budget in place in order to do anything else. Um, and as you go, as you develop in your career and you grow your wealth, yeah, net worth is just as relevant as it is when you get, just get out of school. 
um, just seeing that trend and doing whatever you can to make it move in the right direction is going to be helpful for the long run, depending on what your goals are. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, you mentioned, you know, that one big takeaway was starting that budget for some of our listeners who maybe don't have a budget or don't know where to, to start with building that, where would you suggest they go and where, what would you suggest the jumping off point uh, there would be? Yeah. Uh, you can actually build a budget on our website, personal capital, and it'll import all of your spending. Um, but when it comes to budgeting, I mean, like, understanding where you're spending your money is a great first step. Where is your money going? And did you, did you, A, did you know that? And B, is that okay with you? Like, what do you truly value, right? If we're talking about using money for things you value, maybe you start by understanding where it's going and whether or not you really think it's worth what you're paying for it, right? Uh, how about subscription services, since that just seems to be what we're all totally inundated with. How many subscription services do you have? Do you need HBO Plus and Disney or HBO Max, Disney Plus, Netflix, and whatever else you've got? Maybe not, right? But you're not really thinking about it that way unless you have a budget and you're saying, oh, I'm spending, I'm spending 80 bucks a month on streaming services. Maybe not. No, thank you, right? Um, so really understanding is probably the first place to go. And maybe that's not the most exciting thing, but there are ways you can get a really great understanding of where you're spending your money pretty easily with a minimal impact to your time. As, as a team that really focuses on the fundamentals, I promise you listeners, we did not pay Paul to say budgeting is number one, but you'll feel <laughs> like we're a, a broken record because I feel like every episode, it's, it's the fundamentals. And Paul, what I'm really taking away from this conversation um, among all of the notes that I was like quickly scribbling on the right hand side is that idea that you really have to know where you are to be able to then inform where you're going. And one of the, the more powerful things that you mentioned, at least from my perspective, was, you know, just because everyone else or even someone else is doing something doesn't mean that it's going to be right for you. Don't be afraid to kind of go against the grain. And it, it, it's just such a powerful reminder. One from, from someone like you who really has helped probably thousands of people at this point to navigate through those difficult emotions, but also for many of our listeners who, to Liam's point, we're kind of coming of age in an era where that recency bias is going to play a big role. So having a good understanding of where you actually sit and those key metrics is absolutely essential to make sure it's not just, you know, the 2020s where things are going well, that you can really extend that out into the 2040s, the 2050s, et cetera. So, uh, Paul, I have to say, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on our show. Thanks so much for the gems. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And just one other thing, since you mentioned it, it's it's not about a one-year trajectory. It is about, in many ways, a much longer time frame. And I think that's another element that can be challenging for anyone in dealing with finances is if there's not immediate or instant gratification, it's not working. And that's just not the case. This is a slow and steady sort of sort of deal. <laughs> less like, less than exciting in that matter, but so true, in my opinion. Definitely, I couldn't agree more, Paul. And, and you know, I really 
really resonated with um, circling back to the beginning of the conversation when you spoke about being open-minded when, when thinking about career progressions, you know, you mentioned how it's important to, to kind of think of passions and how it overlaps on, on multiple different industries. And so kind of taking a step back and, and really understanding, you know, where can my skills and where do my passions apply? And then kind of narrowing it down from there um, was, was super important, super impactful. Absolutely. It's clear that our community at CWC, as well as the personal capital community, is really focused on collectively pursuing that that happiness, that fulfillment, that long-term, sustainable and stable lifestyle through those principles, systems, and habits. So listeners, thank you as always for letting us help you achieve your goals. And please continue to let us celebrate you when you do. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. DM us on Instagram or Twitter with your reactions to the series and your questions for future episodes. If you don't follow us already, you can find our handles in the podcast description. And lastly, big shout out to Paul for joining us, dropping some big time gems. Uh, You heard his theme of budgeting, right? And it's not a one year trajectory. Um, Can't can't reiterate that enough and, and something that we speak on a lot right we're trying to achieve overall wholesome happiness and wealth um, and that is not a one-year journey we promise you that um, any final words for our audience today just thanks thanks for having me and thanks for the time and the best thing you can do is just spend a little bit of time on these things and the more understanding you have the more you're helping yourself out over the long run and especially since, you know, I, one other element is the more you do today, what you do today will have a much larger impact than what you do 10, 20 years from now. Um, don't delay or defer this sort of financial decision making. It's, it's tremendous. The impact that you have in your 20s on your... Here's an example. I'm sorry to go on a tangent very briefly. If you save 10% of your income from your 20s on, you'll generally have enough to satisfy yourself for retirement based on some caveats. But if you wait until you're 30 or you wait until your 40s or your 50s, that percentage of your income climbs significantly. If you wait till your 40s, you're going to have to save 25 to 30% of your annual income from that point on. So the more you do today, the the better off you are tomorrow it's not always the most exciting but you'll be doing yourself a huge favor Uh, we have to agree paul thanks so much and again listeners go ahead and check out personal capital on all their social media but most importantly if you're looking for a tool to help you to manage all your money in one place and start taking those next steps check out the personal capital app in the app store But in the meantime, we will catch you next week for our next Future of Finance special guest from Amount Financial, where their mission is to help women of color eliminate poverty cycles through wealth resources. We'll talk to you next week, team. Signing off. Signing off.